Blog Talk Radio. I'm Don Henderson. We've got a great show for you this evening. Roy Cummings is always stationed in Tampa, Florida. A lot of things happening there. Roger Hendler is in Atlanta. A lot of things happening there as well over the last couple of weeks. 
And we also have some special guests across the board on baseball and football and almost everything. So we're going to get right to it. We'll take uh, maybe some of your calls. Uh, last week we got a couple of callers on the show that really put some input into it. So we hopefully we, uh, we'll do that again this week. We do have a dedication to start the program. A big loss in Tampa, Florida for the Tampa Bay Rays over the weekend. A longtime voice of the Rays. And, Frank, it's all yours. Hey, thank you, Don. Yeah, Dave Wills uh, passed away, unfortunately, on Saturday. Uh, Dave had been with the uh, Rays since 2005. Uh, prior to that, he worked uh, 14 years with the uh, Chicago White Sox and also was a play-by-play for both football and basketball for the University of Illinois. Uh, we send our deepest regrets uh, out to his family. He was a good guy, a very happy guy every time I ever saw him. Uh, knew his stuff back and forth. It was always a pleasure to be in his company. We also want to announce that uh, this is program one of year 19 for Fighting Words. Uh, Fighting Words is just uh, has, it's a birthday day, and uh, we just want to let everybody know we want to thank everybody for listening all these years. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Frank. And uh, as I say, it's it's been a lot of fun. I think for everybody, uh, everybody that's on the show tonight. And one other word of a, one of our past uh, guests for many many years, Leo Haggerty. Uh, got an email from him today, and he's coming along nicely. Very very happy to report that everything is in a positive note for Leo. And we'll of course keep updating that as the show continues over the weeks ahead. Roy Cummings, as I said, waiting in Tampa, Florida. And, well, well, we don't normally start, I guess, with football, but uh, between the uh, decisions made over the last couple of days, cutting players, getting down to the cap that needs to be cut down, Todd Bowles, I think, uh, really is going to have a very, very tough time in this, uh, his second year as the head coach of the Bucks because they're going to break it down and start from scratch. Yeah, it sure looks like it. Um, you know, I can't imagine that Todd Bowles regrets taking this head coaching position uh, based on what uh, he was, he was handed last year. But at the end of the day, boy, oh boy, he's, um, he is now the head coach of a team on a rebuild and um, it's going to be a long road back because they do not have uh, cap money. Uh, They don't have draft picks uh, at premium positions uh, in the draft. It's going to be a tough, uh, it's going to be a tough go for these guys. And, um, you know, they've got some pieces here and there that they can work with. But um, the scouting staff is going to be challenged. The coaching staff is going to be challenged. The players are going to be challenged. A couple of these guys could actually come back. Because um, you do have, you know, they, they will have $228 million to play with at some point. But um, the best players on this team are going to be gone. And uh, it's going to be a long, long road back. You know, I, one thing you can do with without a lot of money in the NFL is play defense, and you know, I think I think that's probably where the Bucks are headed. Um, with Todd Bowles as the head coach, they're going to be they're, the best thing they could do right now is to really focus on defense, try to keep as many good players there as you can, build that through the draft, and uh, the offense will um, is just going to take some time. Uh, but if you can start, you know, figure out a way to win some games, uh, you know, 21-17 or something, uh, that that would be nice, uh, maybe 17-16. Um, but that's kind of where they're headed, I think, is they're, they're going to – it's going to take – because it's going to take a while. I mean, we still don't know who the quarterback's going to be. I mean, they're talking, you know, nice about Kyle Trask, but it's hard to imagine that he's the answer. And, 
it's uh, it's just, but we knew this was coming. You know, that's the other thing is um, anybody who's followed this team knows exactly where this was headed. Uh, the Glazer boys, they are not, uh, they're, they're not about building a team through the draft. I, I think they, they try now on occasion, but they kind of get, uh, they lose their patience and they decide to go out and spend uh, uh, enormous amounts of money and, and, uh, and, and give up on draft picks and things like that to, to bring in, uh, you know, Hall of Fame caliber players sometimes. And uh, and if it wins them a Super Bowl, they're happy for it. And if it doesn't, well, uh, it didn't work out. And it did, and it didn't. Um, you know, so it did work out, and then it didn't. And so now they are where they are, and they're going to look a lot like the other teams in the uh, in the uh, NFC South. And I, that's one of the favorite one of one of the things that's good good about it uh, for them is that, uh, if you're going to pick a time when when you're going to start to rebuild in that division. Now's not a bad time to do it because uh, you got a couple other teams in the same process. So we'll see how it goes. The other thing is it's almost a duplication of what happened with him with the Jets. He came into the Jets, uh, had a fairly competitive team the first year, got into the playoffs, and then after that, the next four years were a total disaster until he was finally let go uh, by uh, Johnson and, and the New York and the uh, uh, Jets. And now he's in the same situation. Uh, takes a team that. Just did struggle away into the playoffs this year, lost in the first round. But then, as you just indicated, uh, a total uh, missed group of players. We're just going to have to wait and see. Roger, uh, a lot of good signings today, a lot of good things to talk about. And uh, Mr. Johnson, the coaching staff, and the general manager all went to California on a private jet to uh, talk to Aaron Rodgers yesterday. (laughs) So they're trying to make a move. Well, it it is, and only time will tell. I still think that Rodgers will wind up uh, ending his career at at Green Bay, but I may be way off base. But, uh, you know, the other thing is that uh, uh, Tom Brady's name has surfaced again about uh, coming out of retirement. What do you think? He said that was a joke. He tried, uh, he talked about that uh, today, that. He was just joking around. I, I, you know, maybe he's not. I don't know. Maybe you're right, Roger, but I don't think so. Well, you know, he said that uh, he's busy taking care of a two-month-old kitten uh, at home. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Uh, if that's if that's the only problem that uh, or the only job you have in life, <laughs> it's not much of a job that can be handled. But uh, I don't know. I just uh, I I think it was interesting. Uh, there were not that many players. I think it was, what, six or eight, eight, I guess, uh, that uh, had the uh, tag placed on them. And, of course, uh, you know, we'll talk to about Jackson with uh, the the uh, the Ravens uh, with uh, Mike uh, later on. But uh, he was at the top of the list. But, uh, you know, I'd like to have uh, your the three of you, uh, your opinion on, on what you thought of the players that were tagged. Roy, let's go to the uh, Giants first because uh, they're outstanding running back. They're still negotiating with them, but they put the tag on them. And it came right down to the last minute because they finally gave Jones the big contract uh, just before that 4 o'clock deadline. Uh, otherwise, he would have been the player designated right. by the uh, by the Giants. So uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, – if I, I think I'm correct in saying that everyone got the transition tag, it's not the, the big tag. They did. No, yeah. you're right, Roy. That's and what, what it is. That is what, correct. 
Yeah, yep. and what that tells me is it's almost like there's a bit of a of collusion going on here. I, I, I in a way, I think, um, and I don't think it's in in a in a mean way. I don't think it's mean spirited. I mean, I don't think they're trying to really you know crush players or anything. But I think they are trying to recorrect. You know, in the stock market, you have corrections. You know, the stock right. stock market goes up you know thirty forty percent over a period of time, and it, you know it'll, it'll come back five percent, ten percent, sometimes twenty percent. I think what the owners in the NFL are trying to do is I think they're trying to force a correction uh, in the price of uh, top-level players. And I, because, first of all, if you're going to negotiate, you're going to give up two first-round picks. I, I can't imagine anybody's going to do that. And if you're going to, you know, throw, and, and I don't think too many teams are actually going to put a, you know, bargain with some of the players who've been given this tag. Take Lamar Jackson, for example. I, I mean, teams are already saying, no, we're out. They're not even, they're not even really looking at it. Um, it seems they're not even, you know, saying, well, Hey, well, let's have a conversation with Lamar Jackson, who doesn't have an agent right now and see what he, you know, see what it is he wants. I mean, if you're a quarterback uh, team in need of a quarterback and you've got cap room, why wouldn't you listen to the player? He's in the, pri- he's in his prime. Uh, same with, you know, Saquon Barkley, some of the other players have been tagged here. And so I think there's a bit of a correction going on in terms of what uh, players are being offered uh, on, on the market. Um, does anybody else see that or, or think that I've, I might be on the right track here? I mean, it just seems to me like it's a little bit odd. No, well, I, I agree. I sure have to agree with Roy. I, I, I think I your point too. is well taken. I, I think that that's exactly what's happening. Uh, you know, they're willing to put the tag on, but they're tagging, putting the tag on with openings. But the openings, you don't think we're ever going to be picked up. Go ahead, Roger. Yeah, well, I agree with you, uh, fellows, uh, 100%. And, and, you know, Roy, we've talked about uh, with Mike and also with Doug uh, later on in the last few weeks about Jackson. Uh, and Jackson and his mother, like, you know, you said he doesn't have an agent. But he, I just think, you know, he's, he's shooting for the uh, stars, and it's all because of that Deshaun Watson deal with Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, and, and you may shoot for the stars, but you're not going to get very far in the universe, uh, you know, because I think this adjustment, like you alluded to, versus the stock market is a great analogy. And, uh, you know, the teams are just not going uh, to do that. They're going to give themselves an out. Uh, and that's why they put the transitional tag on. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. The one player that has a chance, I, I think that the, they negotiated right up until the very, very end with Jones before they got him under contract. And uh, really they had no room or no time to make an adjustment as far as uh, Barkley was concerned. Uh, I, I still think that the Giants are going to give Barkley, I don't know how long a term contract they're going to give him, but I think he is going to be signed. I'll be surprised if he isn't. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that, Don. And, and Roger, I agree with you 100%. The reason the NFL is in this situation is the Deshaun Watson contract. You know, here's a guy who, who was a great player for a couple of years, um, really went afoul of the league and everything else. Uh, and, 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 you know, Cleveland comes out and gives him this ridiculous contract, absolutely ridiculous contract for a player uh, who, who can't be relied on at this point, um, you know, hadn't played in a year play. and a half. Right, couldn't right. play. Couldn't, hadn't played in a year and a half, couldn't play for a half a year. And they give him this ridiculous contract, and it's blown up the market. It's put quarter, you know, it, it, what it's what it's doing. And Lamar Jackson is a very good example. 
is taking players of, you know, and Lamar Jackson's a very good quarterback, granted. He's never won a Super Bowl. He hasn't, in fact, he's, what, one and eight in the, in the playoffs or something like that. So, you know, he's not very good in the clutch, it seems, uh, or when it really matters. And now he's, uh, in essence, saying, well, okay, I'm worth the 40-plus million, too. And, you know, look, I've never been one to, you know, say that players shouldn't get the money that, that that's being offered. I Get every penny you can. Good for them. Happy for them. But I will say this. When you're not playing, paying Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes' money, uh, or, you're not pay, or if you're paying somebody, you know, who's not in Patrick Mahomes' league as a quarterback, Patrick Mahomes' money, you're making a mistake. And you're kind of forced into it because that's the market, but somehow you got to correct the market. And I think that's what this is all about, as I said. Well, I think one of the unfortunate things, Roger, is that there's not that many teams. You talk about Baltimore and, and Jackson. They don't have any cap room. You know, you talk about wow. the Buccaneers here in, in Tampa. They don't have any cap. Look at the team. The Giants don't have any any uh, any really bargaining area there where they got a lot of money to spend. Uh, you know, these teams are running short on, on the cap. Well, I think it's almost every team. I mean, there's very few teams that uh, have – a lot of wiggle room uh, versus the cap. Uh, and I, I know the Eagles uh, have to uh, unload uh, a number of players. I heard the, uh, you know, one one uh, thought was that uh, they may bring back a couple of, like Brandon Graham and, and a couple of those. They may bring them back, but on a totally different structured contract. Uh, you know, so that uh, he can still, if they want to play another year, great. If not, you know, move on. But the, uh, you know, the some of these uh, for like a defensive lineman, <clears throat> excuse me, making 14 mil a year, uh, it's going to be a very take a very special player uh, to get a, I think, a, a price like that or a contract like that. Especially, you know, if you're trying to build a team. Uh, for this year and, and and for the couple of years in the future. Really, you know, two guys, points I... with the Buccaneers. You've covered them since day one. Uh, they're in a situation right now with the cap space. But also, you know, at least you can say to their fans, all right, we won a Super Bowl three years ago. We were in the playoffs two years in a row. We had a very competitive team. But now uh, you're in a situation between the cap and the players you're going to have to uh, move off the roster. Uh, you're going to go a couple of years really scratching the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, as I said in uh, in my my response to your first question about the situation they're in, you're right. They are going to have to scrape the bottom of the barrel um, because uh, they can't afford uh, to bring in – I mean, they, for example, they can't afford to go after Lamar Jackson. They can't afford to have that conversation with Lamar Jackson because they can't afford the quarterback. They've got so much dead money on their uh, payroll right now that it's going to be two years before they can really uh, pay the kind of salaries that uh, will attract the, the top-level players. So you've got to, you're, they're going to be forced to build through the draft for a couple of years, and it's just going to be really uh, some really lean times. Uh, I think they're an example of uh, you know, just kind of, what, kind of where we're at in the NFL right now, where if you go a little bit too far with signing too many high-priced veterans, uh, and, they, and, you know, they – if they're late in their career, like an Aaron Rodgers, I mean, that's something that the Jets have got to think about. Um, it seems like they're willing to certainly pay him, but at the end of the day, you know, if he retires here in the next couple of years, 
um, or, you know, decides to retire next year, I should say. Uh, they're going to be hit with a big cap number, and uh, it's going to be hard for them to uh, to recover from that. And, and you know, we talked about, you know, the, the money with the quarterbacks and stuff. You know, we're at a point now where the quarterback is making almost a fifth uh, of what the salary cap is. Salary cap at 220 plus million dollars is, is, is tremendous. Um, I'm not, you know, I think we all saw, probably saw it coming at some point because of the popularity of the league and the way it's all designed. But um, right now, if a, if one player is making a fifth of that, well, you're supposed to have, you know, 45, you know, 43 or 44 other players. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to pay them? Um, it doesn't give you much room to have star caliber players uh, at other positions, particularly wide receiver, defensive end, running back. You know, you just can't have it. Um, maybe even cornerback. Or as you said, I mean, as, as Roger pointed out, you have $14, 15000000 million offensive lineman now. Um, it's hard to keep guys like that when you've got, when you're paying the quarterback 40 plus million dollars. So, uh, again, it's. Um, I think the NFL is headed for a, a, a an interesting period uh, and possibly a difficult period uh, in terms of trying to keep rosters together. Um, and I'm not sure that the free the free agency is going to be the uh, you know the the the, the cash haul that uh, a lot of players uh, have once received from it. Some teams will be able to to pay the money, but it'll be teams that are barely. Uh, playoff contenders, you know, kind of like Arizona going after J.J. Watt. Well, Arizona could afford him because they didn't have anything else. But right. um, at the end of the day, was it really a good move for J.J. Watt to go to Arizona? Not if he was trying to win a Super Bowl, no. Well, Roy? 
Yeah, I think it's the only way to go right now, the way the system is. You're right. You've got to, you've got to pack it all up front and uh, try to get out of it early and, uh, in terms of the, the guaranteed money. But still, and you've got to hope that the player sticks around for a while. Um, you know, you've you, you got to make sure that – Yeah, it doesn't get hurt. Exactly. Um, what you said about Tom Brady is, is accurate, though. I mean, it would be nice if, you know, more quarterbacks could – would, um, you know, take less money to, you know, so that the, the players around them could – could get more and you can get better players around you. So it's, that's the better way to, you know, I think that model is, is clear and evident uh, that it, that it works. I mean, it certainly worked in uh, new England. Uh, it worked in Tampa. Um, but the Bob, the pro, the, the issue there is guys, and we all know this, uh, Tom Brady was a unique, you know, uh, situation. His wife was a supermodel who made more money than he did. So from right. a family standpoint, he didn't have to be, he didn't have to make 32 million when he was worth 32 million. He didn't have to make, you know, 40 million when he was worth 40 million. He could take 28 million and uh, and let you know and spread the wealth a little bit among his team amongst his teammates. That that makes sense because, but you know, Lamar Jackson uh, who's, who's trying to cash in for you know what could be the the only time in his career really uh, can't do that. Patrick Mahomes certainly isn't in that situation. So. Um, you know, it's unique. And, uh, and again, you just, uh, you know, some players, uh, you know, Derek Carr, he can maybe take a little bit less because he's, he's made some money. Um, probably very happy with uh, where he's at financially and, uh, realizes where he is in his career, but, um, not, not many quarterbacks, especially the young ones can do that. And obviously, uh, it, it can be, uh, you know, detrimental to the building of your team. Well, Chris Wheeler standing by. We're going to be talking baseball in the Phillies in just a couple of seconds. But one last thing, Roy, I think the other thing about uh, Brady was that he was willing to take the extra money because he wanted to play in a winner. And he knew if you don't have players around me, I'm not going to win. And he was willing to make the sacrifice not only for the money, but for the good of the operation to keep the New England Patriots a winning football team. Absolutely. It's a great point. You're right. And I'm look, I'm not – and I don't think you are either, Don. I don't think we're suggesting that there aren't players out there that want to win. They do want to win, and I think they're willing to sacrifice. But, uh, you know, you're okay. also, you also got to think of your family first and yourself first. And, yeah, you think about your team as well. But, um, you know, it's kind of like, hey, uh, this is what I've earned. This is what the market is. And don't forget, agents are so, imp- on so, are so big. On, <laughs> someone now has to, you know, set that new, uh, that, that, that new bar. Uh, of what it's going to be, uh, so that everybody else can get, uh, you know, can can get more money, and and that's a big part of it too. Agents are in the ears of these players saying, "Hey, you you can't take five million dollars less because we need you to set the bar here for the, you know, for your caliber of player." Uh, you got to think about, you know, all your brethren in the in the NFLPA here too. So that's a big part of it as well, and it's just uh, there's a, there's a lot of factors involved. A lot of facts. And Roy, and once again, cut. a great first half hour. Thank you so very, very much. And we'll jump right in next week. Roy, and have uh, we'll have all week. these problems solved. We, I know <laughs> we have all the answers, so we can go from there. Right. <laughs> glad, to ha- glad to be a part of it as always, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care, Roy. Have a great week. All right. Thank we'll jump Thanks. right down from football and all the contract negotiations and the problems going on there to one of our best friends, and that's Chris Wheeler, who's with the Phillies for so many years as their Broadcaster, along with a great team of people that worked. Uh, we talked about what happened here with the Rays this week. Uh, this weekend, we're losing one of their broadcasters. Well, the Phillies went through that uh, with a few broadcasters with Chris Wheeler uh, at the helm as well. 
And Chris, first of all, welcome to the show again, and thank you very much for taking some time. Uh, and number one, out of the shoot, uh, you've seen a number of games because you're at the Philly games. What do you think of the new rules? <laughs> well done. First of all, thanks. It's nice to talk to you, too. You and I go way back, and uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you, obviously. Uh, you know what? I think it has potential. I've seen space hits now with that that wouldn't have been hits without the shift, and I like that. Uh, I think there's still a work in progress with the clock, trying to get everybody used to it. But, you know, it does seem to move. Look, I've tried to be one of these people that, you know, I'm 77 years old and I'm supposed to be a dinosaur and a fossil and all that. But I've tried to always look at it in the way of what's best for the game and what's best to try and get people to watch it or go to it or care about it. And I think that's what they're trying to do right now, and we have to cut off some slack and see what happens. But I haven't been turned off by anything. I think it has a lot of potential, what they're trying to do. Roger Hendler is in Atlantic. Go to it, Roger. Chris, always a pleasure. I was just uh, found the cassette I did with all of uh, the you and uh, the <laughs> your uh, associates on the tribute yeah. to Harold A. Bus State when he passed away. Mm-hmm. So that shows you how old that is. But anyway, I'll tell you, you, Chris, uh, Don and Frank, now we were talking about it earlier. I have been uh, to high school games every night this week. And I got to tell you, it is just great to see young talent and how talented these young players are. And anybody that says baseball is just for old folks is crazy. Because I just I see it, and now they got this game changer where uh, tonight a teacher that I you know that's a teacher where I sub, she's tracking her freshman son who's playing over in Woodstock, and while we're there watching the the sophomore or the son play JV, so I mean. I, I listen. I think baseball is uh, going to is really uh, coming alive if it ever died. And I know in Philadelphia it didn't because that was evidence after where the Phillies run. But you know, what do you think about? You know, there's a lot of young talent, and I, I just when you see it at high schools, it's really encouraging. Well, the the thing is, you have to get your stars, and you have to get your stars and market them. I mean, the NBA is the greatest at that, in my opinion. You know, they take 5, 10, 15 guys and market the heck out of them and, and make that league now so that people care about it and watch the games and, and uh, you know, and love the postseason and it in the playoffs and all that sort of stuff. And I, we've never really done a great job of that, and I can't explain that why. Um, I think they're trying to do more things with it because we have so many dynamic young people in the game playing the game right now on a star level and to try and do something to get their personalities out there uh, and have the kids enjoy it. And I think that's what part of this rule change is. Um, We needed a little more action in the game. You know, people like us are fine with the game. We love it. But nowadays, you know, a lot of people have the attention span of a field mouse. And you really need something to hook them, to pull them in, to draw them in. And I think some of this has a chance. There's going to be more action in the game because there's going to be more offense um, because there's more openings to shoot balls through and those kind of things. 
and you know how it works out whether the pitchers think this is to their advantage or the hitters do I think overall it's going to make the game better because it's going to move along a little better I have to agree 100% uh, mm-hmm. I saw the sixth spring training game today uh, Pittsburgh was over here and uh, I'll tell you I like the way they've run the clock I like the two minutes I don't know that the two minutes is going to continue once the regular season starts because of commercial time you know better than I would about that, Chris, but whether that two minutes is going to become three and a half or 3.45 or whatever it may turn out to be. But I do like the 20 seconds. I like the 15 seconds. I like the fact that the players, and I thought Pat Williams made a great point with me. I did a show with Pat last night, and Pat said, we finally got the Ivy Leaguers uh, out of the front office and got baseball people back in. The game's come back to earth. (laughs) Well, look, yeah, Pat Williams is a good friend of all of ours. I love that guy, like you guys do. And, uh, you know, he always has good ideas about things. Uh, you know, he's still going to have a lot of Ivy Leaguers around. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way it's going. There are a lot of lots of guys looking through screens now the way they used to, sitting behind home plate and evaluating. But, it, look, I I just want to give him a chance. You know, everybody, well, wait, relax. Let, let, let them try it. And admit when there's a problem that some things have to be done, and this is where they're going with it right now, and we'll see what happens. And, and you know, you know, and early on, as you just said, watching today, and early on, in my opinion, I've seen, you know, like six or seven home games now here. I think it's got a chance to help the game, and that's what we're trying to do. Oh, I agree 100%. Roger, before I my next yeah. point, go to it. Yeah, well, I, I got a call from a friend of mine, I guess, what was it, last week, that uh, you were back in the broadcast booth uh, filling in for a game last week. Isn't that right, Chris? No, I don't know who that was. He told me it was you. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. All you got to do is, well, never mind. But uh, Yeah, I understand. Um, I, I'll, let, I'll, I, I'll, I'll uh, tell him. <laughs> I, I no no, but tell him thank you. Uh, I uh, I'm doing the PA, you know, and and yeah, some that, days yeah. with all the announcements, it sounds like I'm on the air with all the announcements <laughs> that we do and stuff. But uh, tell him I appreciate that, and there's uh, no way I want to be back on the air. I'm loving life. <laughs> Chris, let's talk about the present club because a little bit of a tip. Bad break with Harper. We knew it was coming. He's going to be July probably or whatever before he can. Uh, you know, really be playing full-time baseball once again. And uh, uh, some of your observations of the trades and the moves they made, uh, they made the great run in the second half, got uh, got all the way to the big games. And uh, your thoughts about where they come out of spring training this year and where they are? Well, you brought up Harper, Don. And, uh, you know, it's a plus and a minus on the whole thing. Obviously, he's not around right now, and we're not going to have him until, as you say, the, the all-star break. But you know what? The Phillies caught a break last year with the DH coming in because when he hurt that elbow in April, that would have been the end of him. And they were able right. to get a full season out of this guy as a DH. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. The way he took off at points during the season, and especially during the postseason. And, you know, what great players do is they take off in the postseason, and that's what he was able to do. So, you know, it, had, it was going to have to be done sooner or later to have the operation but do the Phillies do what they do last year and go to the playoffs and World Series and all that without him? I don't think so. I don't think so no. without his bat in the lineup with the, the things that he did. And It's so hard to, right now 
we're so early in spring training with the World Baseball Classic coming up. We're losing a lot of players. Uh, you know, it's one of the good things when you have stars. You know, you you, you got to share them with the world, and that's what they're doing. They're going to have to do right now. So it's really hard to evaluate this team. But to see Trey Turner in person, you know, I didn't do his games. He he came in after uh, I started doing games live, where you could see the whole field. You know, all all you would see is him go pop pop up sliding into a bag or flying around a bag or something like that. Man, when you watch him from up high now and the way he glides around the bases and the things he can do, that's just a great signing that Dave Dombrowski and and John Middleton made to bring that guy to Philadelphia. And I think he's just going to – well, he's always excelled no matter where he plays, but I think he's going to love playing in Philadelphia with the atmosphere that we have. I pretty much have to agree with that, and, and also the, the ballpark. I think he's going to love the ballpark as well. Oh yeah, uh, you know he can he, he can beat you with a little dribbler in the infield and then steal second, uh, or he can hit a ball 400 feet. I mean, this guy's a freak in nature. He really is. Uh, and uh, you know, defensively, he's not the greatest defensive shortstop in Major League Baseball right now, but he's pretty good. And uh, um, I, I, he, you know, he's been working a lot with uh, uh, Bobby Dickerson, Larry Boa down here during spring training and all. And they see some things in him that they want him to do a little bit differently and all. And he's evidently very coachable. But this guy is just a fabulous athlete. And I just, I just love watching him run when he gets on base. Roger? Well, you know, talking about uh, Bryce Harper, Chris, uh, you know, not only did he have a big influence on the field, but off the field in the locker room. And I think a lot of it was about being able to bring, uh, you know, uh, bring the, the several players uh, to uh, to the Phillies. And uh, I and I also, I'm, I'm big on some of these uh, prospects. I think Stott's going to be really uh, a very good player. Uh, I, I guess they still don't know about uh, Andrew Painter's uh, elbow. Uh, the results aren't back. They were talking about it on MLB radio. And uh, the, the question uh, with uh, uh, and a couple of uh, the announcers uh, were saying is, uh, if the three top teams, the, the Braves, the Mets, and the Phillies, uh, and with the all three have injuries to a major uh, contributor starting pitcher, and they felt that uh, the Braves with Wright was the the most uh, the one they got to worry about the most, and they felt that the Phillies uh, starting uh, you all quartet, but you know when you have five, they felt that they have enough to carry it because they really don't think that Painter would be uh, pitching that much until later in the season. What do you think about that point? I agree with that. You know, I think it was just kind of a, you know, something to talk about, about, oh, maybe he's going to come out of camp as your fifth starter. He's 19 years old and all that. I, I you know, I, I don't know what's going on with his elbow. You know, you cross your fingers when you hear somebody have an elbow problem. And nowadays, you know, you feel a little twinge, anything at all, and they shut you down because – the guys are worth so much money and you put so much of an investment in them. Um, you're talking about Harper and what he did for the Phillies. The thing that he did, you know, besides what he does on the field and everything, the thing that uh, you alluded to about bringing guys to the club, Kyle Schwarber is a man in that clubhouse. This guy, mm-hmm. you know what he can do on the field and you've seen what he can do on the field throughout his career. 
he did, from what I was told, the most amazing job in that clubhouse of, of just keeping it light and not taking yourself too serious. You know, he'll strike out four times and just kind of shake his head like, eh. you know, it's one of those nights. The world's not ending. You know, you play a lot of games, you go out. And the best thing he did last year, from what I was told, early in the season when Alec Bohm had that problem when he was when he was uh, caught on – not caught, but he was shown on camera saying, you know, I – I bleep and hate this place. Well, I've heard a lot of yeah. players say that about Philadelphia, that they bleep and hate this place. But they didn't get caught right on the camera with you, you know, when you're saying it. And he handled it so perfectly. And now he's, they love him, and he's become a much yeah. better player. But the thing was, when I was told, Schwarber took charge of that thing and really, really made him uh, uh, face the music on it. And he understood what it's like in Philadelphia, and you've got to do this now. And nip it in the bud, he did. And, boy, he's gone on to become a heck of a player uh, throughout last year. And watching him in spring training this year, he's, he's stronger, and he's going to hit more home runs. Boy, he hit a double to left center field on Monday afternoon, uh, and then he hit a home yeah. run again to left center field, line drive over left center field fence. Uh, he put good swings on the one half. I've only seen him play one game. You've seen him play five or six. But uh, I'll tell you, and uh, – I also think that he's getting more and more confident at third base as he goes along. The other point was that Larry Boa said during the offseason when he joined us was he thought that Atlanta lost the best shortstop of all, the four yeah. big-time shortstops in terms of defense was concerned, and he thought that might hurt the Braves a little bit. Yeah, he really – he and I have talked about that too. He really – he's a big Dansby, Dansby Swanson guy. That's the guy you're talking about, of course, yeah. who's now Correct. with the Cubs who they did not try to sign. And it was interesting, too, because they've done such a great job of signing their, their younger players to long-term deals, and they, they just basically let him go, whether they think they can replace him with some of those kids they had last year. We'll find out. But that guy is a heck of a shortstop and a very dangerous offensive player, too. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, the Braves are doing an awful good job in their farm system of bringing guys up to the big leagues that play at a high level. So maybe they feel that they can do that. Maybe they feel they can do that again. But I, I like Swanson, too. And, you know, when Bo talks about somebody's defense, you, you, you have a tendency to listen because he has a pretty good idea about that. And and uh, he thinks, look, I've seen Bohm uh, improve last season, and he's very confident in spring training with his defense. You know, you're not going to talk about him as one of the great third basemen ever, I don't think. But he's so big that he has to had to learn. By big, I mean tall. He had to learn to do some things to control his body better down there. He has a very strong arm, and it's a matter of him getting in position uh, to, to field the baseball and then throw. And he looks like he's much more confident. And, man, you, what you mentioned, Don, that ball's jumping off his bat this spring. He's, you know, he used to be kind of an opposite field, fly ball, line drive hitter. Oof, he's pulled some balls this spring, and they, they're loud when he hits them. Roger? Well, I'll tell you, he was great at the sports writers' dinner, Chris, and uh, got to talk to him uh, at the reception. Yeah. And then Larry Litwin, you know, asked him a number of questions. But he was very relaxed and and just a pleasure to talk to. I mean, you know, he's uh, just a, a classy young guy. That's the only thing I can say. And he is developing very quickly now. Well, and at a key position, too, uh, you know, third yeah. basis. You need somebody at third base. That obviously, they have to be able to play the position and field it, but you want them to have some pop. And he has the chance to have pop, especially the way baseball is with home runs and, 
the way the ball flies. And yeah, you're right about him. Uh, he, he he was great last year during all the postseason when they were doing all the interviews. Nobody looked like they were having more fun than Alec Bohm. And yeah. when you think what happened early in the season in that Mets game when he was was shown on TV <laughs> saying that, and what could have happened if that could have been the end of it, gone far as Philadelphia goes and it totally totally turned around and you have to give him a lot of credit but as I said again uh, they told me Schwarber really did a great job in helping him helping him get through that and that's the kind of veteran almost, players you Chris, need to almost right away I mean he did it the next day yeah. uh, you know he he came out exactly. and uh, you know he turned the tide within 24 hours not not he a did. week or two 24 he hours said all the right, he said all the right things after the game Don um, on camera to the print media, and, and uh, uh, Joe Girardi was a manager at that time. He didn't start him the next night, but he pinch hit him in the game. They gave him a standing ovation when he came out as a pinch hitter because he had said all the right things, and there's so much media nowadays. Everybody hears it, or their friends tell them what he had said. So they were, re- they were ready to bury him the next night. <laughs> but when he did all the things that he did, they, they, they loved him that day. You know, Vuk used to tell me all the time, you know, they try to bury you in Philadelphia and see how you react. And if they and if you react wrong, they'll crack you and break you. And if you don't, they'll love you for the rest of your life. I think that's kind of what happened. Once again, old Johnny has Johnny had a good point. <laughs> well, the other thing. Well, the one thing uh, I'd, I'd like to see in, in, in the game the other day on Monday, uh, you know, defense was really their problem through three quarters of last year. They just – made too many errors, struck out too much, made too many errors, and took themselves out of games. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, even the other day, uh, they made uh, – what, what the kids – was Gage in left field? Who was in left field? Is that, yeah, there was I a kid. Gage, I, I saw one – his name. I think that's probably yeah, he made was. he made one outstanding diving catch, but he gets up, runners on first and second – and throws the ball away, and then they wind up with runners on second and third <laughs> instead of first and second yeah. after he makes the catch at short center field. And uh, same thing with a uh, base hit, uh, runner on uh, runner on first base goes first to third. He throws the third base instead of throwing a second, gives up the double play. Uh, not that it made any difference because the third out came along anyway. They didn't score. But, I mean, those kinds of things you can't do when it really counts. Amen. Well, I, yeah, I've always, amen. I've always been a defense guy, a pitching and defense guy, and uh, me too. And, you know, I think they yeah. they've done a good job that in the back of their bullpen this year. I think on paper, anyway, we'll see what happens when the season starts. But defensively, you can't give teams four and five outs. If you do, you lose. And uh, they were a very poor defensive team last year. But in the playoffs, they were not. They came along, right. and in the playoffs, they caught the ball and did the things that they had to do without giving up a lot of cheap runs, and it was one of the reasons why they were able to win. Well, Chris, yeah, I want know, to thank you very, very much, as always, for being with us. And uh, wait a few weeks, get into the regular season, and uh, see what you think about the rule changes. See what you think about <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the bullpen, but we didn't have enough time tonight. Uh, but uh, thank you so very, very much for joining us. My pleasure, Don, Roger. You guys always are friends for a long Chris. time. Yeah, Anytime I can do it, I'm sorry. I had a couple of weeks where I couldn't do it. I had to go to Memphis for Timmy's funeral and all that. So we got uh, got back here and got under underway, and everything's good right now. So we'll be, we'll be in touch. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Take care. Well, let me bring okay, uh, Roger back in here now because a good friend of his, Fred Galea, is going to be our next guest as we go down to 
Atlanta, Georgia, and Athens, Georgia. And uh, Roger, bring them on. Fred, I'll tell you, I, I, mean, I was telling uh, friends, I was over at uh, West Forsyth watching the JV uh, baseball team uh, against uh, Woodstock last night, Flowery Branch. I'm hooked yeah. on the, this high school baseball, let me tell you. And uh, But, yeah, you know, I know uh, you were really busy last week with the uh, Carter situation at Georgia, and really unfortunate uh, uh, the, uh, the night that they won the national championship uh, in just a couple of days. But uh, on what's happened, and, boy, I'll tell you what, uh, you're the new Atlanta News First, ANF, boy, I'll tell you, it's taken the city by storm. Well, Roger, we appreciate it, man. You know, we've been working really hard. And what happened with Jalen Carter, those two young staffers, I mean, that was just awful, awful, awful news and a tough way. Obviously, Georgia was just celebrating a national championship, and then to have that happen on the heels of that was just just awful, just awful news. I just feel terrible for all the families involved. Fred, I'd like to ask you this, too. Uh, you covered Green Bay for a long period of time before you went down to uh, take care of things in Atlanta, but uh, what do you think of the Rogers situation as it continues to grow? I'm sorry, which situation? Rogers. No, you know what? You're thinking D- Daryl Ledbetter was at Green Bay. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, you were right. Okay, I Fred apologize. Was in, Fred played at, at, at Indiana in football as a walk-on. So I did for Lee Corso. <laughs> That's right, Lee Corso. For Lee Corso, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but talking about, let's get to the Falcons since we're talking about football a little bit. What do you think is their biggest need in the draft, Fred? Quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> Every I, team's I, got I, that problem. I hate to say that, but, I mean, it's quarterback, really. You know, I mean, that's, you know, they, they, need a, they need a quarterback. They don't have a – I mean, Desmond Ritter is a good quarterback, but he's not a franchise guy, I don't think. You know, and, uh, you know, whether people like it or not, Matt Ryan was a franchise guy. Maybe he wasn't at the end, but, you know, for a lot of years he was. And, uh, you know, they probably need to build that offensive line back up too. I mean, they're they're missing a piece or two on that offensive line. I think that would really help them because then they'd be able to, I know it sounds like an old man, but they'd be able to run the football, chew the clock, and stay in these games. How do they stand against the cap? How do they stand against the cap? Well, they're they're not in good shape against the cap. They they've got to they've got to figure that out. So uh, they need to uh, they need to figure that out and, uh, and and see what they can do there. Maybe they have to make some trades or make some deals. But we'll see what happens. But I, that that's just my opinion. Roger. You know, Fred, that's a good point about the the running game. You know, when you think about Mike Smith's uh, tenure and with uh, uh, Michael Turner and then also with Obi Muhaley, uh, I mean, the, yeah. you know, they had the running game and then you had a, a, mad, a mad ice, uh, you know, there early on from his rookie year. And we never realized what a great – period of time that was for the Falcons. I mean, they were in it uh, every year, at, at least in the playoffs, and then they 
they could have won that NFC championship, you know, and, of course, uh, Dan Quinn did uh, get to the, yeah. the Super Bowl. But, I mean, they had a great running game with those two guys and the line. And that's what they need. They, I agree with you. Go ahead. Well, they did. I mean, you know, you have an offensive line. I don't care what level of football, you're going to control the game. I don't care if it's high school. I don't care if it's college. If it's a pros, you got a good offensive line. You're going to control the game because you'll be able to do what you want on offense. And, yeah. and I think so Fred, they're, the, they're probably – the point well, being that uh, you mentioned quarterback, and, and uh, that's one of the things that's really hamstringing most of the teams now because they're spending so much money for a quarterback. They they just don't have enough money to pay everybody else the numbers, the dollars they have to to be competitive. Well, I mean, that's, you know, it, it's amazing to try to work the cap and the way to, to work it. it it's, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a job, and they do have people that do it. So that, that's got to be the toughest job in football. I don't care what team it is, trying to manipulate the cap and work in your favor. Yeah, I we, agree. You know, we, were talk, we were talking about uh, the Braves uh, earlier with Chris Wheeler and talking about Dansby Swanson. And uh, pro- probably, uh, if not one of the best, def- or not if he's not the best, one of the best shortstops in baseball. But the Braves didn't really attempt to uh, re-sign him and obviously went with the Cubs. Do you feel the Braves are, they have the talent uh, to take over uh, that, uh, you know, really key position, Fred? Well, I think you're going to see Vaughn Grissom there. And Vaughn Grissom, is, you know, he showed us a glimpse of what the the, uh, Braves expect to see from him. And I think he's a guy, if you can put him at short, you know, he's a big guy, rangy guy, put him at short, and Elijah stays at second. I, I I think that the Braves are going to be okay there. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. I really do. Fred, the one thing the Braves have done consistently is develop players at the minor leagues, and especially bringing up some very dominant young players. But now they've got a, a, a roster where they've had extended signings. I mean, they look to me like they're in the best shape of any team in the National League over the next five years. At least. You know, Alex Antopoulos did a great job locking up guys in today's money, so, I mean, it's really these guys are – they're making a lot of money now, like Michael Harris is making a lot of money now, but he won't be by the time, you know, he's in his prime. You know, right. he'll be making good money, but the, the, that, that locked the Braves in to to really – a lot of these young guys, and, and, you know, Roger will remember this, there was a group of baby Braves back in 2005 that, that won it all. And guys yeah. like Brian McCann and you know Nick Green from Gwinnett County and and some other guys, and and this is kind of like that again. You've got this young team that are kind of taking over. They got some veterans mixed in there. They got really good pitching, and it, it's kind of they're trying to you know run it back and try it again. And I think that they'll be successful. They have been successful. Of course, they won a World Series what two years ago. So I mean, it hasn't been that long ago. Roger? Well, I, you know, I was out at the, at the uh, boat show at Lanier uh, all weekend and talking to people and, and uh, getting back to uh, uh, Matt. The, do you think that he's going to play any anywhere uh, this year? The reason was that uh, some of the people I, were ta- I was talking to live in Sugarloaf, and I guess he sold his house there and uh, or at least, you know, moved and obviously – but, you know, 
I I hope I don't know whether he would want to be a backup and and or whether he really wants to pack it in. Do you talk to him at all, Craig? I haven't talked to him in a while. No, and I haven't yeah. talked to him about that. But that would be, you know, he doesn't want to be a backup, and and I don't blame him. I mean, the guy's been an elite quarterback for a long time. You know, in the NFL, and took a team to the Super Bowl. Numbers in many ways, Fred. Oh yeah, I mean, the, it wasn't his fault. I mean, he built the twenty-eight-three lead. You know, he didn't let it get away. I mean, right. So it, he's been a good uh, he's been a good quarterback for a long time, and you know, you got to have an offensive line. And that dude took so many shots in those last years in Atlanta. He took so many shots and got hit so hard. I mean, I really think that kind of uh, slowed him down tremendously, and I think that's why, you know, he wasn't as good as he was the last couple of years. Because I mean, the dude got hit a lot. He did, he did. And right, let's, and go back, let's go back guy. to shortstop for a second because uh, I talked to Larry Bowe a number of times on our show here in the off season. Larry thought he was the best short of the four dynamic shortstops that were available. He thought he was the, the best defensive player and total player of the four players. Uh, and uh, uh, so I can't, I, I can't understand why they never really tried to renegotiate with him. You know, they renegotiate with everybody, but they really didn't make yeah. a. Even after the other three were gone, they still didn't make a move to, to re-sign him. Well, I mean, they thought they they believed they have his replacement. Okay. They believe that they've got the guy of the future in Vaughn Grissom. Yeah. Okay, don't argue with that. They're right on every, they write on everything they do, so I guess they're going to be right been, on this one, too. They've been, you know, Alex Antopoulos has been running the hot hand. He's on a heater. So, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, Freddie Freeman had well, a great year last year, and I'm sure Danny Swanson's going to have a great year, too. I mean, I, hey, look, we like those guys. I mean, I don't think they're, yeah. they're popular in Atlanta. And I think they'll always be popular in Atlanta. I mean, Dansby grew up here, you know. I mean, and the Braves made the deal to get him. So you know, different people, but now you know they made a deal to, you know, send him along. And and he's going to succeed in Chicago and have a good time and have you know a good career there. I think. Oh, that well, ballpark's yeah, still for right. him too. Yeah, it was Freddie Freeman. Uh, you know, I mean, how emotional he was when he, the reunion. Uh, you know, last summer, and uh, right. you know, you thought he was going to be a lifetime brave, and and they, but the Braves are a good organization, just like you were saying, Don, and I mean, they know what they're doing. I mean, they don't make many mistakes. Let me tell you. No, you know, I mean, he had Matt. I mean, Alex Antopoulos. You know, he didn't hear it from Freddie. Boom, he went out and got Matt Olson, who's been great. Yeah, and he's a local guy. Oh. You know. That was a so, that was a strong move. That was really a strong move. I, yeah, let's yeah, run down the pitching a little bit, Fred. Uh, what do you think about the depth of the quality of the pitching as well as going to the bullpen? You know, the starting pitching is not as deep as I'd like. I think they're they're probably what Roger three deep. You think three four deep? Yeah, well, not, and then, but not. And but right, we're spoiled. It, we're spoiled in Atlanta. So yeah, I mean, right. Ian Anderson. Uh, who else do you got over there? You got uh, well, Charlie, two, Charlie Morton. Yeah, you and, know he's uh, going to come through at least with innings. You know, and I, I really am a Charlie Morton guy. I always have. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but I, the the one concern I heard on MLB Radio today was about Wright 
uh, I, the, uh, is it a rib problem that he has? You know, I haven't heard that. I'll have to check it out, Roger. I, I, I promise you I haven't heard that. I've been been locked up doing some other things. Well, here, so it, I agree. You know, it, it may not be serious, but they what the, their comparison was, if you look at, at the Mets and the Phillies and the Braves with the starting, uh, say, quartet, uh, right. They they felt that uh, the uh, uh, the uh, the right situation versus well with the Phillies it's Andrew Painter you know the rookie nineteen years old right here but yeah. uh, but they were saying that they felt that the right situation was having the biggest impact on the the uh, the, the the one of the teams in that three you know versus like Scherzer and uh, uh, you know right. with the Mets. Okay, and uh, so I, I was just, you know, wondering, and I think what they said was it, it's something with a rib. You know, that I don't know. heard a picture. Yeah, yeah well, that was, yeah. I mean, and, you know, maybe hopefully it's not serious because I'll mm-hmm. tell you, he was 21 ga- a game winner last year. You don't find many I mean, 20. Was, you don't see a lot of 20-game winners anymore, you know, because <laughs> not of the bullpen and the innings and the analytics and all that stuff, you know, and. You know, they try to save guys' arms and try to, you know, do different things. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, you know. It's Fred, what do you think of the new, what do you the think of the new rules? I don't yeah. like them. <laughs> I don't no, that's, that's pretty clear. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if, if I hit the ball at a shortstop every time, why can't they have a couple guys over there? That's my fault. You know, yeah. if I can't spray the ball where I want it, that's my fault. You know, as a hitter. So why can't yeah. they? That's like saying, okay, if, if I'm on the football field and they come out in a twins formation, I can't put an extra guy over on that side to cover him. i got to right. stay in my base coverage. Right. To me. It's like, yeah. no, I know you put a guy out there because you want to throw to him. So why can't I play over there? I know that this guy always hits the short. Why can't I play an extra guy over there? What do you think about the clock? <laughs> Well, you know what? Actually, I do like the clock. You know, let's get it going. I mean, of course, you're talking to a guy. You know, Roger remembers this, too. We remember Greg Maddox. You know, he's like, you better be ready because he's coming right back at you. That's right. You know, I've seen six games here in Sarasota so far (laughs) with Baltimore, and not one of those six games, five and a half innings was more than a minute, a year of an hour and a half. That was the most. The most was an hour and a half. That's great, isn't it? Oh. All the difference in the world. Unbe- to me, it's unbelievable. I, and as I said, they adhere to the two minutes on going in and out they went between innings. They adhere to the 20-second clock. They adhere to the 15-second clock. They keep the thing going. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I said this last week, I'm not necessarily in favor of the ghost runner in the 10th inning, but, hey, that's, uh, that's minor compared to everything else. I, I think what they've done is really what, you know, I said this in the last half hour to Chris Wheeler, Pat Williams said, I did a show with Pat Williams earlier this week, and Pat said he took the guys out of the Ivy League out of the, out of the, and put the baseball people back in business. And I think he's exactly right. They're getting away from all these statistics. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I missed that last comment you cut out. You're talking about the no, Ivy back. League or something? Yeah, I the well, the Ivy League, it was, it was with the, with the uh, in baseball, and they got rid of the Ivy Leaguers. You know, and get back to uh, the yeah, pure yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right. They're the I mean, ones yeah. that dreamed up all this analytics. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to go to calculus class. I want to play baseball. <laughs> right. You know, shit. Right. I mean, come on. Shoot. Uh, yeah, let's play baseball. And right. like I said, with the shift, I mean, that's, you know, that's got, if I, if, if you know, I know, you know, if, if I owe Roger 50 bucks, I'm going to take a different way to the ballpark. So if he knows right. that and he can find me, hey, you owe me 50 bucks. Why can't he, why can't he do that? <laughs> you know? He's like, Wait, no, no, Roger, you can't come this way. You knew I was going right. to walk this way, but you can't come this way. Huh? <laughs> this bugs the daylights out of me. I'm sorry. I really am. Uh, no. Well, I'll, t- and yet, I'll tell you, I told Don uh, last week, Fred, I was at the uh, one of the uh, uh, games, you know, at uh, West uh, Foresight. And yeah. I and I got to tell you, three-hour, seven-inning game, and I'll tell you, it didn't seem like three hours. You know, you're there, you're with friends, you're talking about to parents, you know, it's right, a different yeah. world, you know, I mean, it, and, and you get to enjoy it, okay, I mean, it's, uh, I, I just can't believe, I hadn't seen a high school but game Roger, you're not watching it on TV, you're not watching it no, on TV, not. Roger, you're there, as you said, uh, talking to friends, enjoying the atmosphere yeah. of being in the ballpark, you're not sitting at home watching a game on TV that's going three and a half, three hours and 45 minutes, you can't do it. I agree. I agree with yeah. five minute commercials, every you know between yeah. every half inning. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. you, you know. Gotta, yeah, you gotta have those. Yeah, I, you know it was funny, Fred. I heard the other night watching MLB Network. They had the Cardinals game on. Boy, I'll tell you, it sounded so funny to hear uh, Chip Carey doing the Cardinals. Yeah. You know, after the Braves for so many years. Yeah, you know, I talked to him about that, and uh, you know. He did do the brace for a long time, and I think, you know, after Skip passed away, I know that was probably tough on him, and and I know that, you know, even though they weren't that close at the beginning, I think they they might have gotten closer there toward the end, and, and I think that, you know, Chip probably just felt, hey, you know what, it's time to move on. Let's try something new while I'm young enough to do it. And, you know, yeah. following Harry's footsteps like that, because he already did that right. with the Cubs, right? And then he came yeah. here to be with his dad, and so now he can, you know, I mean, he's he's done the family triangle now. Well, you know, well, he went with a great know. franchise too. Yeah, well, well yeah, I mean, look, St. Louis is a baseball town. They're yeah, a baseball sure town. Is. They don't have NFL, and they don't care. Yeah. No, you're exactly yeah, right. That Mid America on KMOX, boy, that signal goes. Uh, <laughs> how many states, yeah. Don and Canada? Thirty-eight in Canada. <laughs> yeah, man. So, I mean, we used to listen to it in Indiana. Yeah. yeah no, you fact, can always listen to Cam like, okay, No question about that. They covered everything. And, and uh, well, Scott Rowland. Okay, was, Scott Rowland, the Cardinal, great, right? I mean, he ended up playing yeah. a lot of years with the Cardinals. Great, great player from Jasper, Indiana. Okay, that's southeastern Indiana. That's all Cardinals country in there before he ever went there. I mean, even yeah. when I was a little kid, that was all Cardinals. That part of Indiana. All Cardinals, you, Illinois, did, Indiana, all through there. Did you see him as a Hall of Famer? And no, I got to be. Even though he's an Indiana guy and he went to IU and played at IU, um, he's not to me. I mean, he doesn't. I don't know. They're letting guys I, in. I think he's a very, very good player. Very well gifted yeah. player. Had all the tools. Five tool player. But uh, I, I I think he falls a little short as far as the Hall of Fame is concerned. But hey, that's only me. Roger, you're up. 
Well, the, the he 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 was, you know, and he started out with the Phillies, and he wasn't never was never happy in in uh, Philadelphia, and the fans let him know about it. And uh, but he went in as a Cardinal, or is going in as a Cardinal. And I, you know, I think the other uh, problem that he had was he followed Mike Schmidt, and yeah. you know, it's the old story. You want to fo- You don't want to be the guy to follow the legend. You want to be the guy to follow the guy that followed the legend. Exactly. You know, old expression. Right. You yeah. know, and I think that that really had an effect because you know uh, Schmitty was there. You know, Hall of Famer. They uh, won a World Series, and the fans were expecting this. And and I the same. And I just I think that was. I think he. You know. I think he could. He could be. Uh, a Hall of Famer, or you can look at it both sides, you know, about in and out. That's the way I look at it. But he's in, and he deserves it, and, uh, you know, congratulations to him. That's the way I look at right. it. Yeah. Well, I, I yeah. just look at it as go well about selecting Hall of Fame players because, I mean, we saw Dick Allen for how many years? And look at his numbers, look at his career, and he yeah. didn't even get in with the veterans. He didn't even get in with the veterans. He missed one, by one, one vote last year one in the veterans shot. committee. Yes, and right. you know, and you're talking. Look, you put Scott Rowland up against Dick Allen, and Dick Allen's yeah, not Dick in. Allen, and he's, yeah. I mean, you're, so you're talking apples and oranges. Very true, but the, look at look at the uh, the world. I mean, today, I mean, it's totally different in in a short period of time than it was, you know, five ten years ago, even so. Yeah. Well, listen, Fred, it's always wonderful. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. I really Thank appreciate you. it. Thank you. Always we fun to chat. It. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I love that uh, Atlanta news first. I mean, it is great. <laughs> All right. We love it, man. Thanks for watching us. Okay. We need the help. Take care. God bless, Bye-bye. Fred. Bye-bye. Take care. All right. We've okay, been I, did hear, I didn't hear you, Frank, but uh, my father on the phone rang, and I was turning it off. <laughs> Yeah, Mike, Is Mike ready? ready? Okay. Yes, sir. Mike, let me get you up. I'm sorry. I apologize, Mike. For some reason, I forgot to turn the phone off, and it rang right in the middle of his end of his uh, segment there. But uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, a lot of conversation, baseball-wise, football-wise, soccer-wise. Uh, a lot of things going on right now. Uh, no change, I guess, uh, with the Washington Baseball Club, Mr. Snyder. Uh, I don't know about the football club, uh What's what's a, what's our story there? What's what's the football club doing first? <laughs> um, same old, same old, if you will. Um, you know, I guess the the information that most recently came out was regarding uh, there's been no movement on sale. The latest that we heard was that the NFL owners did discuss the sale at their meetings, but there was no desire to push him out. Now, in the meantime, there was a report on ESPN last week that he could be up to a billion dollars in debt to uh, Bank of America as a result of the financing that he had to do to take out the loans to buy out his partners. And there was also a report that he's under investigation by federal authorities for um, falsifying loan documents to take out Mm -hmm. a $55 million line of credit on the team without the permission of his 
coalesced the minority shareholders, the three minority shareholders, which he ousted, which was part of the thing that came out when they were trying to um, sell the team or, or buy their shares, sell their shares. They saw that there was this loan that was taken out in the bylaws of the uh, team, the sale agreement, say that nothing can be borrowed against the team without all the owners saying uh, yes. They said they never approved it, and um, it, it, so that's a serious issue for him as well. Meanwhile, he also told the NFL that he wants indemnification against any future lawsuits should he sell the team and that he, he, he was demanding that, to which they all responded, what we need is indemnification from you for any other future lawsuits. So um, the stories off the field continue. As far as what's going on on the field, of course, they hired Eric enemy to be the offensive coordinator. I think that was about two, two weeks ago, maybe three now. And, you know, and they franchised uh, the, their interior defensive lineman, Deron Payne, who had a really good season. So they're going to see what they can get done as far as either getting him a long-term deal, which would be very interesting because they already have Jonathan Allen, Fidari Matthews, Mathis last year, uh, and then they still have Chase Young and Montez Sweat coming up. And very few teams would be willing to allocate that amount of money to a position, like especially to a defensive uh, tackle, let alone like defensive line. You don't see many teams spending the amount of capital that the uh, commanders have on the, on that group, which normally comes at the expense of other ones. Roger? Mike, I, a couple of things uh, just to follow up on that. I, I've seen some reports where Dan Snyder seems to be a little more involved uh, from the operation of the team uh, than we've heard uh, until just recently. And uh, so I'm just wondering whether, you know, you, you're there every day in the area. Is that the case? You know, if he's involved in the operation of the team, it would be a bit of a surprise, I guess. Um, it seems like things have really just kind of gone on around him. Um, it was interesting that they were able to get the money to sign, um, to, to give the contract to Eric Bieniemy, but that was kind of a must-do. They need to fill that position. A lot of people thought that they might just promote from within rather than going outside. But that was more of a football move. Um, it will be inter- the signing, the franchising of Deron Payne is kind of in line with the with what we expect to be their philosophy, where they're just not going to commit any long term money. So we'll see how free agency kind of shakes out. If they're very active to the extent that they can be in free agency. And you see them putting that sort of large guarantees up. It might hit that Dan Snyder is more interested in staying than we thought. But if they kind of go on and you don't see a lot of movement in terms of free agency, that would hint that a sale is probably imminent because every time they do an NFL team offers a guaranteed contract, they have to put that money in escrow. And I just mm-hmm. can't see Dan Snyder putting any serious amount of money in escrow because it's certainly not like he's going to get it back in the sale. Um, that to me is a big reason why I think that they would be out 
on somebody like Lamar Jackson and even trying to negotiate with him because it would require them to put upwards of $250 million into escrow. And while it would be a good football move, I just don't think it makes um, financial sense for Dan Snyder if he's trying to sell the team. Yeah, he doesn't then, have the money. Talk about that, then they've got to give up two first-round draft choices. You, you know, now that he's been franchised, I mean, uh, you know, it's, uh, unless they can make some kind of a, a separate deal, as we said, it's not a locked-in franchise. It's a, I mean, what, uh, what was, what's the terminology, Roger? Transition. Uh, non-exclusive. Right, it's non-exclusive. non-exclusive. Look, the two first-round draft picks, um, given – the commander's history with draft picks in the way that they initially were trading them away for candy. Now they've been a little bit more cautious with giving away their draft picks. Um, I think the two first round draft picks to get Lamar Jackson from Baltimore, completely worth it uh, for the commanders to do a, they would be getting the guy that turned most of the state of Maryland and a significant portion of their existing fan base from commanders fans to Ravens fans B, he would probably be the best quarterback that the franchise has had since Joe Theismann broke his leg. So mm. it would make complete and total sense to do it uh, from a football standpoint. I think the bigger issue is – and if they were able to get him to sign the contract or sign the tender and then be traded, they might be able to negotiate for, say, a first-round pick and – one of those defensive linemen that they're going to need to get rid of uh, or another player. Like I could see them doing a first round pick, maybe a first, a second and say uh, Deron Payne, a first and a second or and a future second and Montez Sweat or Chase Young or somebody like that to bring them in because they're not going to be able to resign all four of those guys. Plus Phil Mathis, you know, you got, five first-round picks on the defensive line. They just can't retain all five of them. So they're going to have to make some tough choices. And sending one to Baltimore in exchange for Lamar Jackson, I think, would make good football sense. Now, financially... But also the fact, Mike, that has, uh, if I remember correctly, 26 or $28 uh, million dollars left in the cap. And uh, so somebody would have to pick up a lot of money somewhere. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the other, I just think financially the uh, commanders just don't have it. Like, I can't see uh, right now the return on investment for Dan Snyder if he's planning on selling the team. Now, if he's planning on keeping the team and he's willing to spend that money and he has it to spend, then it makes complete and total sense for them to be in on somebody like Lamar Jackson because they are – I really, they really do need a franchise quarterback, and he's the best one out there. And, look, I think they like Sam Howell. I think they want to give Sam Howell a legitimate shot. Uh, he was a guy who was graded as a possible first-round draft pick come after a junior year, had he come out then, but he stayed for a year, and he went in the fifth. Now, do I think he's – a typical fifth-round pick, no, but do I think that there certainly are question marks about his ability to play in the NFL uh, based on the limited sample size that we saw and what they said and the fact that, you know, his struggles in college. So, you know, if you have the chance to get somebody like Lamar Jackson here in D.C., you take it. 
Mike, does Dan Snyder still own Red Zebra uh, Media? Uh, I believe that they were either sold or they went bankrupt. I think his oh, main really? holding right yeah, his major holding right now comes in the form of Red Zone Management, which is like a um, investment firm, hedge fund type thing. But I'll mm. tell you what, I was searching all week for any information about like how much their portfolio was worth, anything like that. I couldn't find a doggone thing. Other than that, wow. um, it's the Redskins, and I'm sorry, the Redskins, the Commanders, whatever you want to call it. Commanders, so much yeah. Of his, yeah. So much of his net worth is based solely on the 100% share that he owns. And that is the major source of income that he has is what he gets from the commanders. For example, like he, he uses it like a piggy bank. He charged the team $4.5 million uh, to put the, the team's logo on the tail of his private jet and called it advertising. Now, gentlemen, I don't know too much about advertising. I'm not an advertising guy. But I normally think if you're going to advertise something, it has to be something that people can see. Right. Nobody ever sees this dog on jet, so where's, where's the advertising benefit in it? Well, he may find out He may find out that's not a valid <laughs> deduction on his, his income tax. I'll tell you that right now. Well, let's swing over to baseball for a second. Well, how about the, how about the baseball club? Because Washington. Um, I've been saying as long as we've been talking about this that there is really a limited possibility of that sale going through uh, until the Masson deal is taken care of, and there's really little that can be done with the Masson deal until the Baltimore Orioles ownership is taken care of. So they're in this holding pattern because the Nationals own so little of their own uh, domestic TV rights, and they don't have the ability to negotiate another contract. There's just not a real viable source of revenue right now for anybody. And, you know, like they – are capable of making money, but they rely almost exclusively on their share of the shared revenue and ticket sales to make any revenue. Uh, they just don't have the ability to bring in money because that television deal is so bad, and nobody really wants to take that on until Major League Baseball and anybody can sort out you know, this ownership and how much the Orioles are actually going to pay the Nationals on a regular basis as part of their TV revenue because they've been massively underselling them. You know, I think one estimate was that the television contracts revenues for the Nationals should be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to $150 million, and their cut from Masson from the Orioles was like 25. Wow. Holy smokes. That's unbelievable because, you know, with uh, the uh, NBC Sports Philly, the, uh, the uh, Phillies are 25% owners of that whole network, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and well, we talked about that. I, you know, and, and then you had t- uh, said, told us that uh, NBC Sports uh, 
FCC, uh, that was sold, right? It's not part of yeah. uh, NBC Monumental. anymore. Monumental. Yeah, Monumental. Yeah. So all of those, and that's not uncommon. Like with it, one of the big issues that Major League Baseball um, League Wide is having is a lot of these uh, local sports nets that had rights to TV uh, to uh, baseball teams have gone bankrupt. You know, with Bally going basically going yes. under. Like a lot of them are suffering from this. But you know, they a lot of those teams will have abilities to go out and independently negotiate to find another contract that might be able to close that revenue gap. The commanders, the, I'm sorry, the nationals do not, you know, they are kind of locked in to this whole thing with the, with Masson and the Baltimore Orioles because of the favor that Bud Seeley did Peter Angelos when they wanted to move the team to DC. Mm. You're talking about a complicated, big money operation right there. How about your forte? Let's talk a little about soccer. What's happening on the soccer front? Well, we're still into the uh, MLS season. Um, As good as the Philadelphia Union looked on uh, two weeks ago in their opening game, they did not in going down to – Inter Miami and getting and losing two nothing, so the, they'll get a chance to bounce back. The Concacaf uh, Nations League or Champions League has started, so that's kind of the international tournament for this hemisphere. Of course, the uh, you know the LAFC and the Union will both be involved in that. So the teams are starting to get up and running. You know, it'll be another couple of weeks I think before things start to really shake out. It's too early to make any uh, major predictions uh, about what may be happening uh, as far as domestic soccer goes. Um, On the women's side of things, um, I think the Washington Spirit just signed the youngest player in uh, uh, um, women's soccer. She's a a 16-year-old girl who's going to be playing professionally for the, for, uh, the Washington Spirit next year. So congratulations. Is she in it from uh, outside of the country, or does she? Uh, no, no she, they don't here. really sign. Yeah, she's uh, to, to be able to sign a, a contract like that at that age, you have to be uh, born in the country that you're playing. You have to live and have some sort of connection uh, to the country that you're playing in. Oh, okay. So they just they can't even in um, Europe. You know, you can't really just sign a 16-year-old to a professional contract. Unless that they're they're a um, they're they're uh, a citizen of that country. Okay, because I know baseball players they have in the international they uh, they've gotten a lot of sixteen year olds you know from Latin America, and mm-hmm. uh, but you know this the it's a big difference in schooling and how old was Joe Nuxall, Don when he wasn't he sixteen when he first got to the major leagues? Yep. Well, it was during the war, though. Yeah, during the war, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, he was 16, Tommy Brown, uh, third baseman for the Dodgers. He was 16, he, came, he was just graduated from high school. Uh, there were a couple of players in that uh, 16, uh, but uh, that was a rarity because of the war. Well, well I, I will say that I've seen anybody under the age, and I think like now it's like 19 is the is like the earliest age they make it up. 
Yeah, I, absolutely. I will say this about the uh, union, uh, that they are probably now uh, the highest uh, percentage that uh, as far as fan uh, support uh, that they've had in their existence, Mike. There's no doubt about it. I, I think they're getting uh, more media coverage than uh, they ever did before. And I think uh, it's just like you talked about the MLS, uh, what a franchise is worth now, like, for instance, St. Louis. Um, it, it's just, the, the MLS is growing leaps and bounds. There's, there's just no doubt about it. Well, yeah, and, you know, we have proof of concept, and we're going on. We're closer to 30 years than we are anything else of MLS soccer. I think at this point it's pretty safe to say that it's taken hold it's taken root. It continues to grow. Um, it's okay to call it, uh, you know, successful in certain terms. It's not a league that's necessarily growing, going anywhere. You know, in terms of popularity, will it ever overtake baseball? Well, you know, in certain respects it has. You can talk about average attendance is pretty close. Um, I would venture to guess that local TV viewership for MLS games is, is, is close in a lot of markets. Um, in terms of popularity, I don't know if it'll ever break that up the big four of Major League Baseball, uh, basketball, hockey, and certainly it'll never touch the NFL. Well, they certainly might uh, certainly helped out by having a, the expansion teams that they have in the cities they have because now, you know, it, yeah. it's, uh, it's really like Hockey had to do it to uh, really get national uh, exposure all the way across the country. And now MLS is done basically the same thing. They go to Miami, they go to Seattle, they go here. You know, so now they're getting a full coverage. Yeah, and and, and, uh, they've been a little more, um, uh, I want to say, they've been a little more uh, calculating and certainly how they've expanded. and, you know, now it's just about increasing the profile of the league. Now, will it ever ta- overtake one of the major European leagues? I don't think so, because at the end of the day, I've never heard kid grow up and say, you know what, when I, nobody dreams about scoring a winning goal to win MLS Cup. They all do it to win the, uh, to win the Champions League trophy. Right, just like when we taught when we were kids and you were imagining batting, it was batting in the ninth to win the World Series, not the Japanese league title. It's not to say disparage those leagues, it's just like that's what kids hockey players want to lift the Stanley Cup. Um football players want the Lombardi trophy, basketball players want the Larry O'Brien trophy. I don't see many basketball players saying, you know what, what I really want to do is win the Euro League title. So those are where your destination leagues are. MLS just doesn't have that, and I doubt they'll ever be able to get it. But if they're comfortable with where they are and growing the game domestically, raising the profile, getting good players in, um, maybe when they're young and moving them on or uh, later on, and so that we get a chance to see it, I think that there's room for that and they can be successful. Roger? Yeah, the uh, and, and they will be. Uh, as far as the... Uh, United go, uh, you know they they have their definitely their their fan support. I mean, there's there's just no doubt about it. And uh, the one thing is the uh, 
uh, they're on, on basically there's some paid TV now, you know, in addition <laughs> to uh, Valley yeah. and, and, and commercial TV, but, uh, uh, and they, you know, they're on 92.9, the, uh, the gate, I mean, uh, the, the uh, number one uh, sports station. So, yeah. So, hey, gentlemen, one more thing. I know that Doug will probably be joining us shortly, but from this area, uh, it's halftime in the Big East tournament, and Villanova's leading Georgetown 41-20, it looks like. This could be the end of the era. I think that barring a monumental comeback and a great run to win the Big East and then somehow a great run in the tournament, this will be the last game that we'll see Patrick Ewing coach Georgetown. And with him, yeah, you're right. Those... Syracuse lost this afternoon. Uh, North Carolina just won the ACC uh, tonight, uh, and uh, with this one convincing against Boston College just ended a moment ago. So uh, you're exactly right, Mike. We're ready to go to Doug down in Baltimore, Washington, as well. Thank you very much. You got great input tonight. All right. Have Talk a great later. week, Mike. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it as Take always. Care. Doug, you're in the House of Horrors over there. We've had many things we've talked about in the National Football League. Jackson, of course, has dominated the last few weeks. A decision was finally made. At least a half-hearted decision has been made. And some of your observations on that first. Well, I, you know, I'm just, uh, I just got off the bench. You know, Frank called and said we need a closer for the ninth inning. Go, go get your arm loose. So here I am calling in, you know, as the closer of the show. So I, I didn't, I didn't hear, uh, you know, you guys probably had this discussion. Certainly I'm more than happy to give you what I'm hearing because it's, you know, this bell doesn't ring and, and uh, ripple outwards towards the rest of the nation and football and everything. Obviously I'm at the epicenter here in, in Baltimore. So what, what did, what did Mike say about Lamar? He thought that well, it would be, it would be worthwhile. I, I, I didn't, I didn't question him. He thought mm-hmm. it'd be worthwhile if Washington gave up the two first round draft choices or a first and second and another player, uh, and, and take One of Lamar Jackson because line. he would, yeah, he would then, he would then make the Washington franchise, uh, an, a notable property again. Yeah. I mean, look, I think there's, there's an awful lot going on, um, you know, with this whole entire, I mean, you could do the whole damn show on, you know, the things that I'm hearing and the things that have been said, you know, I think you have a contingency of people uh, led by, you know, idiots like, you know, Stephen A. Smith and, and people like that that think, you know, that the Eric DaCosta is the problem, the Ravens are the problem, the Ravens are a terrible franchise, um, you know, all these different things that have that have circulated, if you will, by um, that, that ridiculous survey that comes out, you know, by the NFL that, that ranks the teams in whatever, five or six different categories from, you know, the – the cafeteria to the training room to the strength and conditioning and to all these things. And, you know, the Ravens got, you know, one poor grade in, in uh, the strength and conditioning coach uh, because he was the COVID super spreader. And apparently some of these old, you know, players are talking about how he injured them and he didn't, they didn't like his training mechanisms and those sorts of things. But, you know, people are piling on top of the Ravens at this point because of the Lamar Jackson contract, and they think everybody thinks that he's, you know, he's 26, he's a former MVP, he's this, he's that. We should just pay him the money. And my guess is, well, first of all, 
the Ravens rank 17th out of 32. So if you think the Ravens are terrible, then there's 15 teams that are worse. And let's also rank that correctly in saying that the Washington, whatever you call them, are 32. And that the Kansas City Chiefs got an F- minus in their uh, training room. But no one heard that because because they won the Super Bowl. So, it, you know, let, let's call that what it is. Um, you know, with regard to, to Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson is the equivalency of 50% of the problem. Okay, because he doesn't have an agent, and he's been really wishy-washy on what it is exactly that he wants because the Ravens have been – I guarantee you they've made him more than a fair deal uh, when it comes to, you know, not only what they were willing to pay him, but what, what, what they thought he was worth, and, and it, was, it was likely a fair deal. Apparently that's not what he wanted, and apparently they could not budge. Okay, so at the end of the day, the Ravens basically said, you go find what you think you're worth. And the problem with that is, um, you know, you're going to have to find a team that's going to pay him north of $230 million guaranteed in addition to whatever the total contract is. And, and they've got to have up, cap space to do it. Not only that, but they have to give up two first-round draft picks if the Ravens decide right. to decline. Here's, you know, here's where it gets, you know, a little complicated. So, if you look at the teams that have the most salary cap, there's really only one, I think, that could potentially uh, make a run at him, which would be the Atlanta Falcons. They have um, just over $60 million. So if they made the decision to say, okay, well, we're going to front load this contract and we're going to give you what you want and we're going to make this first year $60 million, now the Ravens have to go back and say, hmm, we were probably prepared, prepared to put the actual the, the the regular franchise tag on you for 45. Do we want to go to 60? So my guess is that the Ravens, if in fact someone like the Falcons or somebody decided they wanted to sign him, they're probably going to match it anyway, right? Because because now they still hold the cards to say, oh, you found your deal with the Falcons. Oh, the Falcons, you want him? Okay, well let's make a deal. Because we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and, and match the contract. How badly do you want him? Because we want now we want more than two first round draft picks. So, you know, in my opinion, I think the Ravens may. I I was a little bit upset. I think as it drew near the four o'clock time there, that I, I thought that they had talked about making this, you know, non exclusive franchise designation. And I thought, why in the hell would they do that? That's that's stupid. Well, I'm guessing that Eric DaCosta got all the intel that he needed, and the Ravens are taking a gamble to say. He's priced himself out of the market. Now you're hearing things about owners in collusion. That idiot from, from the Browns, you know, who gave Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed contract, there's 31 other owners that thought that was stupid, right? So no one's going to give him a fully guaranteed contract that I'm aware of that the Ravens apparently have done their homework on to say, we're going to give you this franchise tag. You go find your fully guaranteed contract because you don't, I don't think you're going to find it. And then when you don't, now you have other issues. Now you got locker room issues. Now you got Lamar pissed off because he's going to be making less than Daniel Jones, right? So you're going to have all these issues that are going to crop up. Can the Ravens still come back to an agreement with him and and get this done? I don't know. Let me just throw in a quick note. Uh, watch ESPN two. Beheim's uh, been coached in Syracuse since 1976 through this year, 47 years, and uh, I don't have the sound on, but. Uh, they're saying that uh, this is going to be his final season. Now, I have not heard that he has made that announcement personally, but that's what they're saying, that this is going to be it for 
Beheim after 47 years at Syracuse. Okay, Roger, yeah, go ahead. I saw that over a thousand, well hey. over a thousand wins at Syracuse. Unbelievable. Yeah. They just came over on Yahoo said that he, after the loss, the 77-74 loss, is his last game at Syracuse. So he's so retired. He's either, well, he's either retired or get fired. <laughs> Hopefully he'll well, just okay. retire. Well, and and yeah, Rick Pitino is saying that he's still looking for that big-time school to make one last rung on one, one, one last rung on this on the ladder of success going to the NCAA tournament. He's having a great year with the team he's coaching right now, so we'll see what happens whether he gets back to one of the major franchises or not. Want that big payoff, just like Jamar uh, <laughs> yep. uh, wants. But um, you know what, Doug? I wanted to get back to uh, – we've talked about this for a number of weeks, and we, and we were talking to Roy Cummings about it earlier. And, uh, you know, you look at this uh, transitional uh, tag now, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, the it, it, it changes everything. And mm-hmm. uh, I just – I have said before, I don't think that Jackson's going to play for the, uh, uh, you know, uh, for the Ravens this year. I just don't. Mm-hmm. And, and, well, uh, and Roy agrees that what's happening now is – it's like the stock market. He had a great analogy. It takes an adjustment, and this is what is happening now in the NFL. There is an uh-huh. adjustment. What do you think? Right. Well, well, first of all, I mean, you know, if no one chooses to offer him said contract that he's willing to uh, agree to, and, you know, the Ravens still can't negotiate this deal they have until, like, mid-July, um, if, if that were to be true, you know, he, he, he's, if he doesn't want to play football this year, he doesn't have to sign, you know, this franchise tag agreement. He can sit out the mm-hmm. year, but he doesn't get paid and it doesn't count towards right. the Ravens salary cap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he can now, now what we're doing is we're going to go back and forth and, you know, he's going to be a pain in the neck and the Ravens, like I said, they've already pissed him off because they gave him the $32 million tag instead of the 45. So, so now he, you know, this, he's saying, well, this is what the Ravens think of me. So now I'm pissed off. Right. So, you know, I don't know, you know, cause you gotta be careful. It's a dual edged sword. If he goes to another team and they, and he, and he changes his demands, well, the Ravens can just match it. Right. So he can't go say, well, I'm going to go play for the Panthers because they're going to give me, you know, $180 million guaranteed. So the Ravens can say, okay, well, We'll do the same thing. Now you're going to stay in Baltimore. So what's he going to do then? You know, now mm-hmm. he's just not going to show up for OTAs. He's not going to show up for meetings. They have a brand new offensive coordinator. So this, this isn't done by you know a long shot. There's still a lot of gamesmanship left to be played. But at the end of the day, the Ravens made what they what they thought was the best move for their franchise. Because I've been saying this for ever, right? Mm-hmm. Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson cannot play for the Ravens for forty five million dollars. It's going to hamstring the team. They don't have enough salary cap space. They're going to have to cut players. They're going to have to restructure players. They're going to have no freedom to move about in free agency, and it's just not a wise business decision. So mm-hmm. all I, I said earlier, I thought it was 26 or 28 is their cap. Yeah. How much space do they have? It, it, it's right around 26. Um, but yeah. but you've got to understand, you know, you have dodo birds like DeMarie Smith from the Players Association that are, you know, standing there with, with signs saying sign Lamar and, you know, he's worth this and he's worth that. Well, he 
he he doesn't care about Lamar. He doesn't care about the Ravens. He's trying to stick it up the backside of all the owners to create a precedent that says quarterbacks are now getting paid fully guaranteed contracts. So th- like there's a lot of pieces. Yeah, there's a lot of things that that was an outlying contract that 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 one dum dum decided that he was going to give to somebody, and now the Cleveland Browns are going to have to eat that fifty six mm-hmm. million dollars a year for the next four years, right? So good for them. I mean, they can finish dead last in in the AFC North for four years for all I care, you know, because of that. So you want to say they very well might. <laughs> they might. I mean, I'm just saying it, this is the way I look at it. If the Raven, if if Lamar Jackson goes out and he finds his sweetheart deal, and you get some, you know, team that wants to purge and and pay him all these different things and cut players and do all these things, okay, well the Ravens will take the two first round draft picks and they'll use their twenty six million dollars and they'll build an efficient football team and they'll start all over. You know, this is a classic case in in any sporting, you know, franchise that you know who runs this asylum. You know, is it is it the warden or is it the inmates? And you have all these people that say, you know, these professional athletes, well, I don't want to play anymore. Trade me, you know, a la what? Kevin Durant, you know, Kyrie Irving. You have all these people that make these demands. Okay, well, we'll see you later. We'll take what we get for you, and we'll we'll get people here that want to play. You know, because I'm telling you, the media is making the Baltimore Ravens out to be the bad guys here, and they're not. Mm -hmm. They're not. And I think that you're going to find – you're also going to find that the most difficult portion of this entire contract negotiation is for the sheer fact that Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent. He's been mm-hmm. unresponsive, and he doesn't even know what he wants. He doesn't know what he's doing. He just says, I want this $230-some million. All right? So he's going to, what's, what's Lamar going to do tomorrow? Is he going to call up the Atlanta Falcons you know, GM and say, hey, you know, let's talk a deal? I mean, he's he's representing himself. I mean, how the hell does that even work? So, yeah, he wants to save that. He and his mother want to save the twenty uh, percent or whatever the the uh, the deal is. Uh, you know, with the uh, cut that the the, the agent gets. Well, we had this, Fred Khalil on uh, earlier. Uh, you know, who's uh, sports director at the uh, Atlanta News First. And um, he was saying that the Falcons ha- do have a cap problem, and he said what their biggest need is a quarterback. But if they are having any kind of cap problem, they're not going to put $44 million into uh, Lamar Jackson. And I think what they're going to go for uh, is a, uh, a college uh, mm-hmm. a co- quarterback. I, that's what because he doesn't think that the guy that they have now the backup to Mariota is that good. Yeah, yeah, that guy Desmond Ritter, I think. Ritter, you know, yeah. There's, there's, there's yeah. look. I mean, you know, the the and the the draft that comes about, you know, will be dominated by teams moving up to get Young, Stroud, now Richardson, who was a who was a freak at the combine, and uh, and Levis, and you'll see, you know, those four guys go easily in the top 10 and you'll have a lot of maneuvering between, you know, the Colts, the Panthers, the Raiders and, and anybody, you know, these teams that want to, you know, figure out who their next quarterback is, you know, and the Ravens probably, they, they did their homework and they can say, well, you know, the saints aren't going to sign Lamar Jackson. They just signed Derek Carr. The, you know, the so-and-sos aren't going to, cause they don't have the cap money. You know what I mean? So they already knew the number was 45 million if they gave him the other franchise tag. So they were already probably willing to pay the $45 million anyway. 
right? They just did it this way so that they could say, hey, Kay, you think you're worth more than $45 million and you want a guaranteed contract? Go find it. Let's see if mm-hmm. it's out there. You know, and I think well, by this time next week, we ought to know a lot more about what's going to happen because everybody's going to have to make a make a decision and make a move. Let's let's switch for a second. Uh, I want to talk a little baseball, but I want to talk golf yeah. uh, for most people that uh, to hear you on the show. PGA professional has uh, his own club down in the Baltimore, Washington area. And uh, Doug, we we've talked over the years about golf, and this last weekend was a perfect example at the Oral Palmer tournament. Uh, in fact, that a, a, a player had posted 50 times and never won a tournament, and he wins the wins the Bay Hill and collects yeah. three million dollars. It was one of the specialized tournaments where the where the winner share jumped way up over three million dollars, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. second place was two million dollars. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, this week the players, uh, 49 of the top 50 players are going to be playing this weekend, starting tomorrow at the Players. And uh, mm-hmm. what a great tournament last week at Bay Hill. This one should be even better. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, look, that's what dreams are made of, man. That uh, Was it Kurt Kitayama or whatever his name was that, that won that? Um, Kitayama, yeah. Yeah, now you have... 50, have 50 times as opposed to number one. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, that's, that's what life's all about, you know, you, and he all played down. all around the world in, in three or four different tours, not just the PGA Tour. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I mean, look, there's there's lifers out there that, um, you know, they'll – I mean, there's all kinds of, of printed material and, and, and videos and things of people that, you know, at some of these levels will live out of their car and, and you know, eat whatever and, and do whatever they can to, you know, get their opportunity and – you know, that's, did you see? That's did you see it, that last putt on the 18th? That was, was a 60 well, he, he something. It. Yeah, it 62 or feet, or I, I can't remember the exact yeah. number of what it was, but it was from. It looked, it looked like it was. He was putting from Chicago. Right. Yeah. Um, great stuff. I mean, that's um, fantastic. It's, it's great for him. It's it's um, like we we talked and joked about this before. If you could be a one hit wonder, I'd take 3.6 mil and uh, ride off into the sunset and. And if that was the only time I ever won, well, by golly, you know, um, that'd be wonderful. And I think, what is it, this week at the Players, um, refresh my memory because I know you, you know all this kind of stuff, but I know that the, the is it the defending champion is not there because he's now on the live tour. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, they've never, yeah. They've never had a, a, a double winner, and, and uh, uh, you're, you're correct. He's, he, uh, yeah. uh, Smith, Cameron Smith. That's right. He's That's been banned from the Open, and he can't play in this tournament either. Yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, that's you know, tough, tough, knuck, tough knuckles for him. You know, right? So, um, Frank Selimy, Frank Selimy, we're out of time, man. Oh man, the show went by so quickly. Roger, thank you. Doug, thank you very much. Let me turn it over to our executive producer, Frank Carroll. Have a great week. God thank- bless, Frank. As always. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank all, all our guests coming on today and all our, our hosts. Uh, Doug, we really appreciate every time you come on. Ladies and gentlemen, we you. Thank you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of the and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there. These programs are also dedicated to those who've lost their lives in line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis. Patrolman Jeffrey Calcott, Patrolman 
Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, <laughs> Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hennig, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris LeBake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Ronaldo Christman, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Longboat Key Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy uh, Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Chris Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department, and Sergeant Chris Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department and Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, so you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime will be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. And I, God bless and have a great week. Shem Alek Ma Shem Ahezahil Ma Son Hashem Nevoratfet Hakuig Ged
County dispatched to 1999. All units be advised 1999's response to his last emergency. May God rest his soul and all the souls of the faithful departed. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.